Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 3. In this life, we are faced with different kinds of enemies. And when I say enemies, you may be thinking of someone in particular. But the the enemies that I'm referring to today is not the driver on the road who cuts you off, or it's not Linda at work who tells you that you need to work late again. There's only one enemy in our life, and that is the adversary, Satan. And his goal is simple. It's to create chaos in our life and to cause us to question God. He has many tools, and he is crafty in his methods. One way that Satan works is through persecution. While we here in America are blessed in our religious freedom, there are other people that are not as fortunate. In hostile countries, it is illegal to be a Christian, to own a Bible, or to congregate as believers. Churches would meet underground to secretly worship and to have the same fellowship that we are so blessed to have right now in this moment. Another tactic that Satan can use is through the use of other people. There may be someone in your life who attempts to humiliate you, debate you, or get other people to not associate with you because of our allegiance to Christ. And one final example that Satan will deceive us through is with temptation. When we feel like there is no one to turn to, our fallen nature causes us to cast doubt, to blame God, to feel overwhelmed, and to turn away from the gospel, trying to figure things out for ourselves. We all have our own different struggles and our own different difficulties. Some of us here at Calvary are going through a lot right now, while others of us may have hardships that are more subtle. Some of us may not fall prey to spiritual attack often, but others, it feels like everyone is out to get us. Regardless of where your heart is or the circumstances that you're going through, there's one thing that is certain. Whether it is today or whether it's in the future, we will all be faced with trials and temptations in this life. It is not a matter of if, but a matter of when will our faith faith be tested. Jesus told us that we would be hated because we follow him, but those that endure to the end will be saved. Today, we will see in this psalm, David is in the middle of an attack from his enemy, his own son, Absalom, and his attitude during these hard times. As with many of the psalms, this is not only a psalm about David, but it's also about Jesus. And I hope that we can all walk away with a deeper understanding of Christ as the sustainer of our faith, and that we would look to Jesus and trust in him in both the good times and the bad. Let's read through Psalm 3. The header reads, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is God's word. Let's pray. O God, the Father of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies. Give us the strength to trust in you and deliver us from feelings of hatred or revenge. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.
So before we dive into the text, I'm going to start off with a little bit of background to provide context. This setting of the stage may be a little bit longer, but I think it's important that we understand what David is going through, and it will give us a little more insight to the psalm. So for my note takers, I promise I'll get to the three points, but you'll just have to wait, just making sure you guys are paying attention. If you look at the header at the top of Psalm 3, it tells us the situation that David is in. This is the first psalm that has a header, and it reads, A Psalm of David, when he, ha- when he fled from Absalom his son. The situation that David is going through starts in 2 Samuel chapter 15. We won't read through the text today, but I will briefly explain the story so that you can see what David's state of mind is at. As many of you know, David was known as a strong king who led Israel well. Absalom was his son, and he desired to be king. It says in chapter 15 that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was cunning. He looked for troubled men so that he could convince them to join his side. He would wake up early in the morning with many men, horses, and chariots and stand beside the gate. He would hear the requests of people, people who had lawsuits, and he would listen to them and say that your case is good and it's right. And it's a shame that there's no deputy for the king to hear you. If I were the judge of the land, he says, everyone could come to me and I would seek out justice for them. Absalom was, he was a smart guy and he knew how to sway the people. Little by little, he had people out of David's allegiance and joining in his camp. They went to the king to seek out judgment and Absalom said that he could be that king for them. Absalom was able to deceive people and start a rebellion. And David was blindsided by this. To him, Absalom's insurrection was quick and unexpected. This attack did not come from an outside enemy. It wasn't a rival country trying to destroy Israel. It was from within. And not only was it from within Israel, but it was from his own family, from his own son. Happy Father's Day. It's probably not the message that you were expecting here today, but here we are. So now we understand the context. Absalom is eager to take the throne. He deceived the people around him, people that David trusted, those that were a part of his team. He charmed them and convinced them to join in the uprising. The rebellion came, and David was thrown out of his palace, on the run for his life. With him were just a few of his loyal men. This is the scene, and this is where his heart is at in the first two verses. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again of Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. And just a quick note on the word Selah for anyone that's wondering. This is the first time that we read this word in the Psalms. And the short answer to what it means is that we don't know. As with pretty much everything, (laughs) you know. um, Some of the scholars believe that it was some sort of musical notation. Perhaps there would be a pause in the words and the music would continue to play. And so everyone in the congregation would have a moment to pause and reflect on the words that were just spoken or sung. Other commentaries believe that it was used to be a point of emphasis. I don't think there's a need to go into great detail, much more than that, over the different theories, but I wanted to bring it up briefly, and now we can go back to the text. We see in these first two verses David's cry out to the Lord. It reads, Many are rising, saying there is no deliverance. Day by day, the number is increasing. This is a growing rebellion. His enemies are taunting him. David, 
a once great ruler with many supporters, is now fleeing from his own palace. He's surrounded by only a few people that trust him and support him. What's going on in his mind right now? Betrayal. His own son, who it says even in 2 Samuel that despite all this, he still loves, betrayed him so that he could become king. At this moment, he's wondering, who can I trust? Who's on my side? Where can I run and where can I hide to? His back is up against the wall. One other thing to note with Psalm 3 is if you were here last week and you heard Tony speak on Psalm 2, is that they fit in very well with one another. In Psalm 2, if you look back, it says that the nations are conspiring, the people are plotting, and the kings and rulers are rising up. And this is exactly what David is going through in this psalm. He's hurt by the ones that are closest to him. His own people are rising up against him, and they're led by his only son, his own son, excuse me. And how would we, re- we react in this situation? Maybe we'd feel betrayed, caught off guard, or angry, or maybe we'd be arrogant. Maybe say something like, I'm the king. Don't you know what I've done for this nation? No one can overtake me. I'm the one who built this and made Israel great. Or maybe he would seek out revenge and try to start a civil war to reclaim his spot at the throne. Is that what we would do in this situation? Maybe, maybe not. But that's not what David does. Instead, David puts his confidence in the Lord. He looks up to God and he puts his faith in him. And this morning, we will see three truths about God and the reasons why we can put our trust in him, especially when we are faced with enemies. And this morning, we will see that the Lord is our shield, the Lord is our sustainer, and that the Lord is our deliverer. Or if anyone that wants the Baptist alliteration, the Lord is our salvation. So that's the Lord is our shield, the Lord is our sustainer, and the Lord is our deliverer or salvation. Let's read verses three and four again. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. Point number one, the Lord is our shield. It feels like the whole world is against David at this time. And what is his reaction? Does he say, where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? Does he look down in dismay and realize that this is the end? The opposite is true. He looks up to God as a shield. He says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. David puts his belief in God. Despite the turmoil and the taunting, David's confidence cannot be shaken. He doesn't pray, Lord, be a shield around me, but rather he's stating it for effect. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. The Lord is David's protector, his glory, and the one who lifts up his head. Think about what it means to have your head down. We just got through the NBA Finals, and as one team is jumping up, raising their hands and shouting for joy, the losing team walks away with their head down. In a similar fashion, when a military leader is victorious in battle, they lift their head high, signifying their triumph, and the one in defeat has their head down low. In the middle of this trial, when it feels like we're on the brink of defeat, the Lord is our shield, our glory, and the lifter of his head. David did not find his glory in fame, power, or possessions that he had. He saw firsthand that all the things he once had could be gone in a matter of minutes. His glory was in God and in him alone. This is the glory that will last forever. In verse 4, David is crying to the Lord with his voice, and the Lord answered him from his holy mountain. And we saw this last week. 
In Psalm 2, verse 6, it says, The Lord has installed his king upon Zion, his holy mountain. David cried out to the Lord, and he looks up to the hill, and he knows that there is no king but Christ. He is the one who is in control, whether David remains king or if Absalom takes the throne. He looks at the hill, and he knows who the true king is. And we see this in Psalm 121. It reads, I lift my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. We know who to turn to. The Lord is the one who made the heaven and the earth, and we can trust in him. And point number two is that the Lord is our sustainer. Look at verses five and six. I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Verse five reads, I lay down and I slept and I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people. This is the kind of attitude and the action that we should have in the middle of our trials. Oftentimes, we look so far into the future that we forget that God is working in us each and every day. This morning, I woke up and I slept, for the Lord sustained me. This is a truth that we should hold on to and a prayer that we should remember in hard times. Lord, thank you for letting me sleep, for allowing me to wake up again, and for sustaining me. There are things in our life that will keep us up at night. But still, David is able to rest, and he knows that the Lord will be his shield, that he will wake up again, and that the Lord will sustain him. Because the Lord does not slumber, we can sleep knowing that he is watching over us. One thing to note in this psalm is the use of the same or similar language, but in a contrasting manner. In the beginning of the chapter, it says, many are against me and their number is increasing. But in verse six, he is saying that the Lord is with him and that he will not be afraid of many thousands of people. In verse one, he says, many are rising. But now he says, whether it's 1,000 or 10,000 people up against me, David's trust remains in the Lord. When our backs are against the wall, when everyone who, we once, who once was on our side is now against us, and when we're all alone, our security is in God. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And finally, we see that the Lord is our deliverer, that the Lord is our salvation. Let's read through verses 7 and 8 again. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Verse 7 says, Arise, O Lord. David is crying out to God to save him. Again, we see the use of similar words in this text. In the first part of the psalm, the enemies are rising. But at the end of the psalm, it's the Lord who rises up. The Lord is his shield, and he is the one who sustains him. He says, For you have smitten all of my enemies, shattered all their teeth, and shattered all their teeth. Here, David is describing his enemies as having no teeth. A lot of animals use their bite as a primary means of attack. And so what David is saying is that he's not afraid of them, just as we wouldn't be afraid of a, a wolf trying to bite us without any teeth. There is no threat because our confidence is in the Lord. And in the beginning, we talked about the enemies that are in our life. We said who our enemies are and who our enemies are not. It's not Linda at work, but it's our enemy, Satan. And it is possible that our enemy could be a specific person in our life, someone who is hostile towards Christianity. And I'm a little more inclined to believe that because they use 
a, a specific person, Absalom, and he is taunting them. But whether it is um, a specific enemy or if it's talking about Satan as a whole or the world as a whole, there is one thing that this psalm is not teaching us. This psalm is not saying, Lord, protect me from my enemies and rain fire and brimstone on them. Destroy those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. So I don't think that we should look at the atheist professor or the unbelieving family members in our life as an enemy, but rather as our mission. Someone that we should pray for that God would bring salvation to. This psalm is about deliverance and about salvation. And we ought to pray that everyone in our lives learns about the truth of the gospel. And that leads us into verse 8. And it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, and blessings be upon your people. We see one more time the clever use of phrasing in this psalm. Look at the word salvation, or saving. In verse 2, it says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. In verse 7, it says, Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. And in verse 8, it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Our enemies say that there is no salvation, and we cry out to the Lord to save me, and God is the one who brings us salvation. Where do we look for security and strength? When our enemies are against us, and when we feel betrayed, or that we want to seek out revenge on our own. Where does our heart turn? The psalm tells us to go to the Father, and that he will give us salvation. And just as we clarified who our enemies are and who are not our enemies, we need to be clear on what salvation means. God will always save us in the end and return us to him. But in this world, we are not guaranteed to be saved. While David was saved from Absalom, that may not be the case for all of us. Many of us pray for an illness to be taken away or for a marriage to be restored. Some things we will pray for, and God, in his infinite wisdom, may not grant that to us. But there is one thing, that, but there is one thing that he will always grant to us, and that is salvation, the salvation of our souls. Notice what it says in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What it does not say is that salvation can come from the Lord or that God is one of the many ways to attain salvation. No, it is saying that salvation comes from God alone and through him alone. And this is not an isolated scripture. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Acts 4, 12 says, And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Psalm 37, verse 39 says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. And this is what we believe, church. We don't believe that there are multiple ways to get into heaven. We don't believe that if we read our Bibles, come to church, and give to charity, that we gain salvation. There is only one way to heaven. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Believing in him, not only when things are good, not only when our marriages are thriving and our jobs and careers are successful, but through the hard times, when we're at our lowest moments, God is there for us. And this psalm, even though it's talking about David, as I mentioned earlier, we see the parallel to Christ and to his life. The rising number of rebellion that David had faced is seen in the New Testament by the rising number in rebellion that Jesus had faced. His own hometown did not want him. David's son betrayed him, and Jesus was betrayed by his own disciples. And another disciple denied him, pretending like he never knew Jesus. One week, 
um, oh, sorry. Uh, he was king one day, and the next day his own people tried to overthrow him. One week, Jesus was on a donkey with people praising him, singing Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the following week, the same people shouted, crucify him and crucify him. They said to David, there is no deliverance for him. Surely his God will not save him. And while Jesus was on the cross, they said, if you really are God, you would save yourself from this punishment. But there's still one major difference between David and Jesus. David is not completely innocent in all of this. He was a sinner just like the rest of us. And so while David relate, while Jesus relates to David in going through this punishment, he was not saved from going to the cross. He endured it from, for our sake so that we would be saved. He died so that the sins of David, the sins of Absalom, and the sins of everyone to this day would be forgiven. He relates to David, but he also takes the punishment of the guilty wrongdoers in this psalm. He was bruised and wounded for our sake, and he rose again so that we could have eternal life with the Father. So maybe you're at church today, and you're hearing this for the first time. Or maybe you've heard this a hundred times. But if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, trusting him with everything, and repenting of your sins, I would encourage you to do that this morning. And if you've already given your life to Christ, I would encourage you once again to trust in him as you are going through trials. And I pray that he would be your shield, your sustainer, and your salvation, so that you can put your faith in him and have the same prayer that David did. I laid down, I slept, for the Lord sustained me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of who David is, and despite the number of enemies that sought his destruction, and even through trials and tribulations, he trusted in you with his whole life. Help us to follow in that same manner and cast all of our anxieties on you. Help us to depend on you and you alone. We ask all this in your name. Amen.